0: Well, it's a privilege for me to introduce our speaker for today, Reverend Ed Norton. He is one of the pastors at Independent Presbyterian Church here in Memphis. Ed and Jimmy became friends at Reform Theological Seminary, and through their friendship, we've become friends and have great fellowship between this church and Independent and Ed's family. It's a joy to have Ed Norton speak for us today. Brother of the pulpit is yours. Welcome to Grace Event. It is indeed a privilege and a pleasure for me to be here um, It was October 1972, and I was a brand new believer. And I had gone to a retreat in um, central Mississippi, and there was a little seminar that was being led by a man named Jimmy Young. And I was brand new in the faith, and he was teaching on the Beatitudes. And there were about 13 of us that were in youth ministry, just helping uh, in youth ministry in a church in Columbus, Mississippi. And so we went to this seminar that Jimmy was teaching. It was really kind of the beginning of the Reform Youth Movement or a Reform University Fellowship, which is a campus ministry of of the Presbyterian Church in America. And we sat there and we listened to Jimmy preach to about 15 of us. And we didn't say a word. I felt like my hair was slicked backwards at the end of it. I have never met anyone of greater intensity. And I turned to Cindy Bruce, who is now on the mission field, at the end of the hour, and I went, I'm not sure what just happened, but whatever, I'm going, whatever that was about, he's going to be a friend of mine. I have been in the valley of darkness, and Jimmy Young has been there for me. I have been on the mountaintops of joy. And Jimmy Young has been there for me. I would count him as one of my dearest friends. And it is a privilege for me to have the opportunity to come this morning and to break open the word of God to you and, or for you. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And you can see in your uh, bulletin, your worship folder this morning, that the title of our sermon is the source of spiritual power. And we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 3 and understanding this power that the Lord Jesus has for us and that Paul has reminded us of. Before we open the scriptures and read them, let's pray. God of my salvation, Heavenly Father, Blessed Son, Eternal Spirit, We adore you as being one being, one essence, and one God in three distinct persons. Father, we adore you for bringing sinners to yourself, for bringing sinners to the knowledge of your grace and to the eternality of your kingdom. Father, you have loved us and you have sent Jesus to redeem us. Oh, Jesus, you have loved us and you have assumed our nature and you have shed your blood over us to wash our way of sins. And you have brought righteousness, your righteousness, to, cov- to cover our unworthiness, our sinfulness. Oh, Holy Spirit, you have loved us and you have entered our hearts and you have implanted their eternal life and you have revealed to us the glories of Jesus. Father God, Jesus the Son and the Holy and the Holy Spirit, we come and we bless you and we praise you. For your love for us is so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous and so mighty to save the lost and to raise them to glory. Father, we thank you Thank you that in the fullness of grace you have given to us your Son and that we are to him his sheep, his jewel, and his portion. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that in the fullness of grace you have exhibited yourself as our salvation and you have implanted faith within us and you have subdued our stubborn heart we come to the understanding that we will be with you forever. Father, you are enthroned to hear our prayers. Jesus, your hand is outstretched to take our petitions. And, O Holy Spirit, you are willing to help my infirmities, our infirmities, to show us our need, to supply our words, to pray within me, within us, and to strengthen us that we would not faint in our supplication. O triune God who commands the universe, you have commanded me to ask for these things that concern your kingdom and our soul. Let us live and pray as men and women baptized. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your Son's name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Open your Bibles. And if you would, keep your Bibles open. You'll need your Bibles open for the rest of our time together. Verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one more thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish that after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you have believed what you have heard? Indeed, this is the word of God. Beloved, this morning I want to come and chat with you about the concept of spiritual power and where does spiritual power come from. And I want you to understand at the very outset that the book of Galatians is like a bomb and that when it explodes in your life, it will affect absolutely everything. If the gospel is the gospel and the gospel is true, then everything is changed, everything is affected. And we need to understand this spiritual power that God, the Father, Christ, the Son and the Holy Spirit have given to each and every one of us. There was a moment in history where um, the book of the gospel, rather, exploded in the life of two nations, one in the U.S. and also in the U.K. There was a great movement where hundreds of thousands of individuals came to saving faith in Christ. And that movement was called the Great Awakening in the 1730s. Men and women were coming to Christ. Churches were being started. People joined churches. People came to Christ. And the Great Awakening, in one sense, changed the face of Western society. John and Charles Wesley were seekers and they were looking, they were trying to understand who Christ was. They wanted to have a personal relationship with him. They wanted to experience the reality of having Jesus Christ in their lives. They wanted to connect with him. And one night, someone knocked on their door, a gentleman named William Holland. And he had a copy of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And he said to the Wesley brothers, let's sit down. I want to read to you the introduction of Luther's commentary on Galatians. Now, I would remind those in the room that may not know that the, the introduction to the book of Galatians is a summary of the gospel. It's a distillation of the gospel. And so they sat down and they read it together. And here is what happened in the life of Charles Wesley. Mr. Wesley read the preface aloud. And at a certain point, there came such a power over me that I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior. My companions, uh, perceiving me to be so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. And afterward, I went into the street, and I could barely feel my feet touch the ground as I walked along. Beloved, this was a huge moment in Wesley's life. It was a pivotal moment in Wesley's life, and he would he would say later, "My heart was strangely warm as I felt that indeed I did trust Christ." William Holland armed with this understanding, doing what any rational, godly, spiritual individual would do. and In the course of each evening, he would go to a neighbor's house, to a friend's house, and he would knock on their door, and he would say, Let me come in. Let's have a cup of tea. Let's have a crumpet. And let me read to you something. Because he saw not only in his life the reality Of Jesus Christ being his Lord and Savior, but he saw also in the lives of the Wesley Wesley brothers the reality of Jesus Christ in their lives as well. We live in a time of postmodernism where people are endeavoring to understand spiritual power. They're not looking necessarily for spiritual truth, but they are looking necessarily for spiritual power. And this morning I come to you and we will break open this passage in Galatians 3 because we want to understand not just the concept of the spiritual power, but the truth that undergirds or lies behind that spiritual power. In light of that, my first point is simply this. You can receive The Holy Spirit. Look in verse 2. I would like to learn just one more thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And then note again in verse 5. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you have believed what you have heard? Now, do you understand? Do you see in this passage there there are two questions that are being asked and both are rhetorical questions? The Galatians had already received the Holy Spirit. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is always classified by a personal pronoun. The Holy Spirit is a he The Holy Spirit is not an emanation from God. It's not the wag of God's finger. It's not uh, a pulse of energy. This is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God in transferable form. And that as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have God living within us and i wonder how often do we really and fully understand that incredible truth turn in your bibles keep your fingers in galatians turn your bibles to second peter 1:3 and let me see if i can outline for you or illustrate for you what i'm trying to say second peter 1 verse 3 and 4 His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world that is caused by evil desires. Do you see what Simon Peter is saying at this point? You have everything that you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. His divine power has not given you some things, has not given you a few things, has not given you many things. You have everything that you need to participate in the divine nature. And brothers and sisters, if you are a believer this morning, it it started the moment you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Notice, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We have everything that we need. We have the privilege of participating in the divine nature. And we have the opportunity to escape the corruption in this world that is caused by evil desires. And all of these things have come by means of the Holy Spirit. you see that? Turn back now to the book of Galatians. Beloved, when we claim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and when we claim that we have the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, it is an amazing claim. And as believers, our opportunity is to come to grips with the knowledge of who we have living within us, all in light of his glory. When the Fellowship of the Ring first came out, I went to see it. And I was totally lost. So then I decided, I'm going to figure this thing out. I want to understand all that the Lord has for us in this great work by Tolkien. And so I'm, I'm now in a journey, in a, pro, in, a, in a process of trying to understand all that Tolkien was, was putting on the table for us. There's a scene in uh, one of the movies where Bilbo Baggins, um, who's a hobbit, gives to Frodo... A coat of mail. Now, a coat of mail is a coat. It's, a, it's, an, it's made of interlocking rings. It has, it's an armor. It's like a bulletproof vest. And this coat of mail was made out of a substance called mithril, And mithriel was was the most valuable and precious metal in all the land. It was a thousand times more valuable than gold and silver. It was a hundred times stronger, a hundred times lighter, and a hundred times more beautiful than any other metal. It was worth far more than any of the land in all of Hobbiton. Photo grabs his coat at some point in the movie, and he realized that he is walking around with a coat that has more value than all of Do you realize that as, as a believer today, you have underneath your old flesh, you're walking around with the third person of the Trinity living within you. It has greater value than, than the whole world. Do you understand that you have the spirit living within you? Do you understand who is within you? Who do you have? And are you staggered by the reality of the spiritual power that is within you? Notice the words of J.I. Packer. Have you been melted with spiritual understanding of the glory of That has come to you. I love to share my faith. I love to tell the story of what Jesus has done for me. The other day I was telling the story and and I was talking to a young woman. And I explained to her the gospel to Jesus Christ living within her. And then I made this statement. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit will live within you and empower you. And her comment to me was, oh, that's nice. And I wanted to say, it's more than nice. It is glorious. It is the gospel of God living within us. And beloved, we ought to be staggered. Our hearts should be melted by the glory of Christ that has come To us, part of walking in holiness and in the power of the Holy Spirit is the realization of what we have. But point number two is simply this. Look in verse three. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, then you are not a Christian. Notice in verse three. Are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? What was the issue with the Galatians? They they had begun in the Spirit. They had received the Spirit. But now they were perplexed. And now they were trying to attain their salvation by their own human effort. And and notice what Paul says in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? And this all goes back to Galatians 1 where Paul says... If any man preaches any other gospel other than this one, let him be eternally condemned. They had forgotten the gospel. And they had forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for them. And here's my point, beloved. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. Look in verse 3 again. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Isn't it true that oftentimes in in the 20th century church today, we have men and women that are part of a congregation, but we think there are some individuals that that are super spiritual, super humans. They're the leaders of the church. They're the ministers. They're the elders. They're the deacons. They're the ones that have the Spirit. I want you to understand that's heresy. If you are a Christian today, you have received the Holy Spirit. And as you are a Christian today, we have the responsibility in light of grace to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and not try to attain our own salvation by our own human efforts. And Paul makes this point, and he makes this point in a solid, profound manner. For he wants them to understand that not only... Is it right for us to believe? But there is also the necessity of an experience with Christ. It is right for us to see the Bible as the word of God. It is right for us to see the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is right for us to see that our salvation is by by justification by faith. It is accurate for us to understand, too, that our sanctification is by faith. It's good for us. To sense and to know the new heavens and the new earth. This is what it means to believe. But Paul wants to know, is there an experience here? Is there the spiritual implantation, the spiritual experience, the reality of grace, the evidence of change? Is there an an internal conversion that has occurred in the life of the individual? Let me ask you. Do you just believe and there's no experience? Then I wonder, do you know Jesus? The book of James, even the demons believe and they shudder. Isn't it quite true that the demons can be more orthodox than we are? It takes more than belief, beloved. It is also the issue of experience that really undergirds and ties us down in terms of our belief. You see, it's important to understand these things. Look in verse 1 again, Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. What is Paul saying here? I came to you. And my life became a placard for you, so that you might understand who Jesus Christ is. My life became a sign for you, that you might understand who Jesus Christ is. And not only is my life a placard, it was a placard that clearly communicated the truthfulness of the gospel. May I ask you a question? I understand we're sinners saved by grace. I understand there is spiritual warfare going on in our lives in an ongoing fashion. I understand these things. But here's another question. The question is simply this. Is your life a placard that is clearly portraying Jesus Christ as crucified? And as people look at you, do they sense and begin to discern and understand not only what it means to be saved, but do they sense and see and understand in your life that there is power, power that they do not have? If you would, flip back to Ephesians 3. Excuse me, Ephesians 1.18. Flip forward to Ephesians one eighteen. And Paul says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power to us that that believe. Paul is saying here, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened. He He wants us to know the hope. He wants us to know the inheritance. And he wants us to know the love. And he wants us to know the power. You see that? But I love that first phrase. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul does not come simply giving us rules and regulations. Paul does not come simply giving us rules and regulations. Rather, he comes and he tells us the story of Jesus dying for us. And suddenly, in the lives of the Ephesians, their eyes were enlightened. And beloved, what does that mean? It means this, that thing, every, that this knowledge that Paul was putting before them, that, it, that it, it was beginning to sink in, that at one time they knew, but now they were tasting. At one time they knew, but now they were seeing it. That one time they knew, but now the light bulb was coming on. And as the light bulb was coming on, The gospel of Christ was becoming beautiful to them. They were turning the corner. The O factor was taking place. Christ was graphically portrayed. And Jesus was growing greater in beauty for them. In 1751, in Northampton, Massachusetts, one of the great American theologians was named Jonathan Edwards. He was kicked out of his church. And he was kicked out of his church because he um, wanted people not only to espouse a theological system, but he wanted them to testify that they had an experience of the grace of God in their lives. His congregation said, be done with you, you're gone. Uh, Forget experience. All we want to do is just testify to theology. And here's what Jonathan Edwards says. When people are first coming under conviction, it is common that their consciences are most exercised about their outward vicious acts of sin. So they set themselves to walk more strictly and to perform many religious duties with the hope to make up for their sins that they have committed. But. Whenever I tell them that they are trusting too much in their own strength and too much in their own righteousness. And that in essence, they're just trying to work out their salvation by a new disguise. They look perplexed. But then finally, after with all the legal humiliation, some receive. Now, beloved, listen. Some receive the calmness of the of the Holy Spirit. They begin to sense, perceive the glory of Christ. They begin to sense and to know the wonderfulness of the dying love of Jesus Christ on the cross for them. They begin to discern the suffering of the Savior, the preciousness of his blood. They begin to understand that he took on their sinfulness and that he gave us his righteousness. They begin to know in a deeper fashion the excellency of the love of Christ. And this excellency of this love will begin to chiefly engage their thoughts. It is there that they begin to love. There that they begin to be humbled by him. And it is there that they taste and relish these things. Beloved, have you come to the place in your own life where you're just trying to Forget the Holy Spirit and you're trying to save yourself by your own human effort. And Paul says it will never work. And Paul in this passage is calling us to to be, to chiefly engage our thoughts with the excellency and the love of Christ. Because when you do. And when I do. This. Is conversion. See, it's trusting, not trusting in your own righteousness, but it's, it's embracing the beauty of the gospel, the glory of Jesus, the sufficiency of his work. It's not just believing theological propositions or what we have to do or what. But the, the core of it all is what Jesus has done for us. John Stott says this. Paul does not give us advice from Jesus. Paul gives us the news about Jesus. So in essence, as we begin to close this out. What is the secret of spiritual power? The secret of spiritual power is, first of all, to realize that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. The third person of the Trinity who encourages, enables, comforts, instructs, convicts. And he is living within you and we are filled with him. As it says in Ephesians 5, not only are we filled with him, but there needs to be a continuous Filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For as we are continuously, continuously filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives, beloved, it is then that we're enabled to fight spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. And we begin to see that our salvation has nothing to do with human effort. Absolutely all of grace. And Jesus paid it all for us. Listen to this hymn. "Lay your dead, lay your deadly sins down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete." Go back to Galatians verse three. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Do you see that phrase, trying to attain your goal? Do you know that Ed will never attain the goal by human effort? It is justification by faith and it is sanctification by faith. And when we try to attain our goal by human effort, we put the Holy Spirit on the shelf. We put the gospel on the, on the shelf and we make ourselves the center. And we endeavor to live in light of our glory. Lay your deadly sins down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and in him alone, gloriously complete. You'll struggle with what I'm about to say. And Jesus is saying this. Stop doing and begin trusting and begin believing. What is the source of spiritual power? Realize the Holy Spirit that is within you. What is the source of spiritual power? Stop doing. What is the source of spiritual power? Begin to trust and believe in Jesus alone and not in yourself. Closing comment, and I'll say this as Richard comes forward to close out our service. Verse 1. You foolish Galatians. In the Greek, Paul is saying, you dear idiots, you've missed The point. Have you missed the point? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we confess that there are so many times in our lives that we make ourselves the center. And Father, we attempt to hold you hostage by trying to save ourselves. We come to church as a good work. We give money to the church as a a good work. We go to the mission field as a good work. We're always trying to complete ourselves. We even try to be godly husbands and godly wives because we're trying to complete ourselves. And Father, the danger of that is that it becomes a gospel of self. And not a gospel of Christ. It becomes the gospel of the Pharisees. And not the gospel of Jesus. Forgive us. Show to us, dear Father, what it means. That we're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And Father, help us. Even our belief is a gift. Help us to believe. And trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. In your son's name we pray. Amen.